Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. After this brief intro, you'll hear the audio from our latest live Instagram Q&A. Our live sessions are so much fun. We basically Mm -hmm. show up and connect, commiserate, and build skills alongside our upbringing community. Folks write in ahead of time or chime in with questions and struggles around kids' big feelings and challenging behaviors. We typically explore five to 15 questions and offer our take, our instincts, our goals, helpful phrasing, and ways to parent with alignment and integrity using our resist approach. Thank you for being here and for supporting us. And if you'd like to give your family and upbringing some extra support, please visit our website at upbringing.co to learn about our upcoming membership community, as well as our shop, which is now full of informative guides and inspiring prints based on everything we've shared here on the podcast these past two years. Wow. Two years. (laughs) Thanks for growing up alongside us one conversation at a time. Here we go. everybody. Welcome to the Pure Nurture Podcast. This is Christy Rodriguez. And today, Hannah and Kelty are joining me. They are the founders of Upbringing. They are twins, coaches, and speakers. And they have created the parenting resource Upbringing. And we're going to talk all about it today. They are certified in simplicity parenting, positive discipline, and trained in foundations of the respectful parenting approach, RIE. Hannah and Kelty empower parents to grow up alongside their babies and kids for sanity, and social change, elevating their discipline practices one conversation at a time. They are co-parenting in captivity on a farm outside of Portland, Oregon, which I can't wait to hear all about, that they share with their partners and kids ages four, five, six, and seven. So you are going to learn more about their work, about their new baby course, which is titled Right From The Start, and their discipline-related guides on their website. So let's go ahead and dive in to a conversation all about bringing home a sibling and how we can support our children as they can thrive and navigating conflict with compassion and connection for our kids. Hannah and Kelty, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, Christy. Great to be here. Mm So happy to have you here. And all of what we're going to talk about today is just so fascinating to me and I love it. So one question I had as I was reading your bio is that it says that you're certified in simplicity, parenting and positive discipline. And I was wondering, is that related to, I've read a book called Simplicity Parenting. Is that, and I can't remember the author, but it's kind of a Waldorf school philosophy. Is that related or something different? Yeah. Simplicity Parenting was originated by Kim John Payne. It's like a worldwide organization at this point. And there are Simplicity Parenting life coaches 
all over everywhere. And I trained in that. And it was really fun just learning the approach. We read the book and listened to it on audiobook and just loved it. And it was really fun drilling down into how to support parents through that philosophy. I read it through a book club at our Montessori school several years ago, and I also loved it. And I'm curious if you guys can start before we dive into the content of our show today. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your life on a farm and a little bit about what took you there because you both live together on the farm and describe to us what brought you there and then what it kind of looks like. Because I'm so intrigued by that and also thinking about maybe doing that sometime in the future as well for my family. Well, we're twins. So we've been close our entire lives and lived apart and lived back together again. And then five years ago, Kelty, I mean, you can speak to this, Kel. My husband's work has taken us from California up to Washington, to Massachusetts, back to the Portland area with a small farm. And we raise pigs and we raise sheep and we grow a lot of vegetables. And it's now a nonprofit donating to lots of local community organizations. And it's pretty wonderful. And I think it must have been about five years ago that Hannah and her husband were in transition. They just had their second baby and we were like, you need to come move here with us. A little house on the corner of the property had opened up where one of our uh, farm employees had lived. And it was just, it felt like perfect timing to just kind of bring our families together. Yeah. You just had your baby too. Mm -hmm. So we had four, I think we had all four of our babies within two and a half years. I think our commute was like 45 minutes and it was just too much for us. And we were like, what? I mean, we're spending all of our time with these babies. It's really tricky. It's a lot. We need to support each other. Let's Mm -hmm. do this. Let's just, we'll tell our husbands it's temporary that we're just trying (laughs) it out. But we've been there ever since. And we're going to move to a kind of forever property later this year. Mm-hmm. So we're excited, but I, that's kind of where upbringing was born on this mm-hmm. farm in the the madness and the and the magic of raising four kids together. We just started reading and nerding out a lot on books and then started taking these trainings and started building a community. Our, both our background, mine had been in science and, and research, fMRI research, but Kelty's had been in graphic design and photography. So she and I had worked together in the early years of our babies as photographers and branding for small businesses. And then we kind of just transitioned into this parenting thing. It just took us by Mm -hmm. storm. And I it just didn't let go. And I never would have guessed that we would be upbringing, that we would have a community that we have, that we would be having this podcast, that we would be here talking to you right now about Mm -hmm. this. But we're so grateful to be supporting parents, especially in those early years with their kids. It just, it kind of became beyond a calling, a screaming to us Mm -hmm. to be talking about this. Mm, That's so fun and so exciting. And are you both homeschooling as well? We're not. Our kids before the pandemic were all at a little Montessori school nearby. And then we moved them back kind of to the farm and we're basically kind of unschooling. Uh So our older girls are in first grade and do sort of like a 30 minute check-in with their local charter school via Zoom. But other than that, they don't have much interest in doing online schooling. And so we just kind of hang out and do lots of projects. And one of their former Montessori teachers comes for a handful of hours every day and they just explore the farm and make a lot of messes. Huge messes. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so neat. Well, I don't know. of a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. Have you read the book Unschooling by Dana Martin? No, it's in our library list right now. She yeah. was a guest on my podcast, I think last oh, cool. year sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we'll yeah. have to check out that She's combo. amazing. Yeah. I, I have the Unschooling book and I, because that's the first time I was introduced to that idea. And 
Yeah, it's really fascinating and that's really fun. So now you've you've kind of done your training in simplicity parenting and all of the other things you've created upbringing and you also have your own personal experience as parents and recent parents to new babies and bringing the new babies in with their older siblings. So let's talk about how we can prepare our older children for when the new baby arrives. What would you say oh, sure. to like the top two or three things you could do to help them with that transition or to prepare for that transition? Yeah. I mean, I think that we we come into to having a second child. I mean, at least personally, Kelty and I came in being like, well, we'll just, we're just adding another one. Like mm-hmm. this is not our first rodeo. Like we're totally fine. We'll figure this out. They're clearly going to be the same temperament probably as the first one. So I know how to handle everything. It's just a baby. So, you know, I'm just going to tote them around and I'll be dealing with the toddler as I normally do. And it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that we kind of bring that optimistic denial, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to our toddlers or children who are going to become siblings as well. And I love this kind of explanation that Elaine Maslish and who's the other writer from Siblings Without Rivalry, the classic siblings Mm -hmm. book, but they portray it as in, you know, we tell our kids, oh my gosh, it's going to be so great. Just as if, let's say our partners came home and said, hey, honey, I just want to tell you this is so exciting, but I'm going to be bringing home another partner. It's going to be so great. You're going to love them. (laughs) Well, you guys are going to be best friends. I'm going to be spending less time with you, but that's okay. It's going to be great. get used to it. You're going to be the best co-partner ever. You get to help out all the time with this new partner. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys have to share a room now, but you know, and all of your things you have to split, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I think the, the feeling that we put on our, on our, our older kids because we want it so badly to work out. We want them to be happy about having a a new sibling. We want it to go so well, which is so understandable. So I just wanted to set the scene with at least that had been our. But th- our yeah, frame I of think mind that's that's bit. the automatic way to prepare a sibling mm-hmm. is to talk up the you know the entire thing, mm-hmm. talk up the the process, talk up the the impact, talk mm-hmm. up how fun it's going to be, how, how wonderful it's going to be, all the things. And mm-hmm. and I think we we generally recommend the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think we 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 get really real with our with our older kids. And I think that usually Kel, we talk about it in four different ways. Environment, routine, information and feelings. Yeah. So environment, you know, kids learn by seeing things changing. So preparing that baby room, showing them what's going to be different, buying items with them so that they can understand. I mean, I barely understood that I was going to actually have a baby. It's really hard to conceive of. I'd already had a baby. And the second time I was like, really, this is for real. Mm-hmm. This is actually happening. This is so strange. It's even harder for our kids to understand. So grounding that in reality with the environment can be really helpful. And then I would also say the routine. I think oftentimes we delay any difficult transitions or routine changes until after the baby's born because we want it to be normal for our toddlers and kids as long as possible. But something we recommend to a lot of folks we work with and in our baby course is actually thinking ahead about what things are going to be changing for our older child and helping that happen sooner. Right. Right. So that could be, you know, thinking about what the morning routine would look like with a second baby, you know, where maybe your partner might be the one actually waking up in the morning and taking, starting breakfast and doing all that with the older child in the future and trying to begin that transition early. Or maybe you're, 
older child will start spending two days a week in the afternoon at grandma's when the new baby comes? Can we begin that transition a little bit earlier? Mm -hmm. Right. And just helping them understand that routine by living it a little bit. I think, Mm -hmm. and then information is the third way where I think oftentimes we talk about the feelings they're going to have and it's going to be so great. But I think information is what kids really need, the most basic. So this baby is growing in my tummy and telling them a little bit about that. So when I go to the the hospital or when I have the baby at home and you go to grandma's house, this is what to expect. And I think going by our toddler and our kid's lead of keeping the information very direct, very straightforward, very practical, and then letting them ask for more information as they want it and need it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's helpful too. You can even make like a little booklet, mm -hmm. draw pictures for what's going to happen, you know? So draw baby in the stomach or the baby's coming as they're, you know, once the adoption's ready or once they're born or whatever it is, and and then draw their little space in the room and draw the bottle they're going to feed and draw, you know, grandparents' house or the new, or the school that the older kid's going to be at. Tell it like of, a little story yeah, that's something that, they can review. Mm-hmm. I like that. So working mm-hmm. the information into environment and routine in that way is Love really that. cool. Yeah. And then I think the fourth and most important in, in a lot of ways, depending on your child's temperament too, is just thinking about the feelings and going back to that, trying not to convince them how amazing it's going to be, trying not to position them as this new role as a big older brother or big sister. That's a lot of pressure for a child and realizing that we can just accept the feelings that they have and really call out that baby elephant in the room that, wow, this is going to be different and it's going to be hard and we're going to get through it together. And I think also part of, aside from directly supporting them emotionally, I think we can also realize that any emotions that come up or challenging behaviors that come up for our toddlers and kids before baby comes, when baby comes, and even a year or two after baby comes, that's you know a hard transition for them that we have to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and really see that this is a big transition and that their behaviors and emotions aren't always going to be directly about baby, but they're usually and very often stem from baby, you know? Yeah. I'd never thought of it or heard of it explained the way that you did with the analogy of your partner and saying, I'm having this new partner coming in and it's going to be great. And you have to like share all your stuff. And, (laughs) you know, it really does put it into perspective for an adult brain to realize how that does affect a little one, you know, and we want it to be so beautiful. Like, oh, your loving little sibling is coming and you want to see them so cute and cuddly together and all of the good things. It makes sense that they're going to have big feelings. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to share as it relates to those big feelings that our older children might have or challenging behaviors towards the baby or towards us as the parents. I think we have to think about our our toddlers and kids as having their own unique stress language, you know, and I think that that's going to look different for every child and we have to learn our our kids stress language and understand it so that we can support it as best we can. And for some kids that might look like extreme clinginess to to us, you know, they don't want to be in the other room without us. They want to be with us all the time. That could be territorial to another child where they really want to push the baby away, where they're focusing a lot of attention on saying, you can't be in here or controlling behaviors like mama, you need to sit here or don't give me that spoon. Give me this spoon. That's all stress behavior. 
It could also be regression. So a child could struggle with toileting all of a sudden or struggle with going to sleep at night all of a sudden or struggle with, you know, eating, could be rejecting certain foods or different things like that. That's all very common too. I think every kid has their own type of of stress language. They could be preferring, you know, not just you, but maybe kind of ditch mama or papa and go for the other parent, right? So many different things can happen. And oftentimes we're just perplexed, like what is going on? Like, why are they doing this? Why are they making this new baby so exciting moment slash stressful situation even harder? Mm-hmm. We have to keep remembering that they're they're so little and they're just literally doing everything they can to cope in the moment. Yeah, but it's so yeah. hard in those moments to look past those challenging behaviors, those big feelings that are so distracting that make us want to kind of shut those down or get them back on track or teach them why they can't X, Y, Z and focus instead on the needs. What are they needing right now? You know, not just even are they tired, are they hungry, but where's where's this stress coming from? Can we lessen some demands on them throughout the day? Can we find ways to fill their cup and just spend even just two to five focused minutes with them periodically throughout the day? Are they needing some sensory integration and nervous system support? getting their wiggles out, being upside down, jumping, rolling, getting sandwich pressed, things that will help kind of purge that stress out in a in an adaptive way. Yeah. Or are they even just needing us to hear and hold space for them saying that they want us to take the baby back to the hospital, that they don't like the baby and they want to put it in the trash can, <laughs> that they you know want to hit the baby or hurt it. That's all, all okay. It's all okay. They're not actually wanting to necessarily do those, but they're really saying, and that's the opportunity for us to translate is to say, I miss you, mama or papa. Yeah. I need you. I'm struggling with this transition. And that's the lens that we want to put onto this with our kids is saying, what lens can I look at that's more compassionate? Mm-hmm. That's that's seeing challenging behaviors and big feelings as just a bid for connection. Yeah. And you all do something that I've heard of and have done with my own girls is creating that special one-on-one time, like a mommy-daughter date, a mommy-daddy date. So one parent would stay home with the baby while the other parent did something special. And you do that with both parents. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think those are beautiful opportunities. And I think oftentimes, especially with a newborn though, that can feel really overwhelming. And I think oftentimes, you know, that's a good goal to have. But I think especially that first year or so, even just saying five minutes, Mm, even just saying, be out in the front yard with my toddler, even just Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to not be holding the baby all day when I'm with this older child, I think can go so far. We don't have to create necessarily an official date or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that to show our child, I see you, I'm here with you, right? You matter to me, Mm -hmm. right? So from a more formal thing to a, a more relaxed thing where you just yeah. create that those ritual little anchor points throughout the day of like with your partner or whomever else you're sharing care with, how can I organize a way to show my older child who needs me almost more emotionally than my baby does? Mm-hmm. How can I be supporting them for even a few minutes at a time or especially before challenging moments as I see those patterns develop? Mm-hmm. How can I preempt those with a little bit of connection? Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes I think, oh, I have to do all of this. And actually you don't. Like sometimes with my girls, I can tell when they're needing me. They're nine and seven right now. And I can tell when they're needing me. And sometimes Sometimes I'll say, oh, show me what you made. And we'll go in and I will literally sit with them for five or 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and just be with them 100%. And their cup is filled. It didn't have to be something big or super special. It was just my presence. 
Right. I think it's so easy for us to think, oh my gosh, you're the older child. You can pull pants on, you can feed yourself, right? You can walk. So you should be able to be alone more. You should be able to handle these feelings on your, on your own. And that's just not true. you know. So that's something we discuss a lot in our Right From The Start course is saying, how can we care for our babies, but really give them the opportunity to spend a little time alone, to build some independence so that we can see to our other children, right? If we have them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big juggling act. It's a lot. It's going to look different to every family, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. One other thing that you all talk about is, you know, in setting kids up for success is how helpful independent play can be in environment and routines. Can you share a little bit about those things? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of folks we work with and the the members of our circle community who took the the course with us this spring were really struggling oftentimes because it's that juggle we were just discussing of saying, whose needs do I go see to? Do I see to my baby's needs? Do I see to my toddler's needs or my child's needs or my needs? How do I do it? How do I juggle, right? And I think a lot of it can really be kind of tended to just considering the environment and the routine and kind of in those non-emotional moments saying, okay, let's look at this. What's going going on. And I think for a lot of folks we worked with, it was realizing that they were holding their babies all day. And I think holding your baby, focusing on caregiving, nurturing that attachment is all really, really important. But I think that oftentimes it left them feeling helpless in supporting their toddlers and their older kids. They felt kind of anchored by their baby. Mm -hmm. So I think giving them permission to put their baby in a a safe place. So that's for infants that could be higher up. It could be in a crib, a safe place where toddlers and kids can't get to them. And then eventually as they get older in that first year or older, a penned off space where it seems like a lot of us have that belief like, oh my gosh, it's a baby jail. That's terrible. (laughs) But it's actually very safe and supportive and actually securing to a baby to be playing independently there. They can start realizing that they can be on their own, that they can look around. Their natural kind of curiosity begins to develop and take shape and take flight essentially. And then that leaves us to support our toddlers and our kids, many of whom have had our undivided attention for a long time and who are struggling now because we can't give that to them. So with supporting our folks in in getting their babies into independent play right from the start, we're also supporting them in kind of working backwards a little bit in encouraging their older kids to be playing independently as well. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky yeah. pattern to, to get out of mm-hmm. when you find yourself all of a sudden with a newborn and you've got a lot of house things, maybe you're working at the same time and you're like, please just go somewhere else and play. <laughs> please just leave me alone for half an hour or a few mm-hmm. hours, you know? And I think it's it, so easy for us to get in that trap of, of interacting with our older children's play as like a cheerleader or as a praiser or as a, a super interactor in those moments. Accelerator. And, yeah. yeah. And so I think what we usually recommend, what we are trying to do, what we recommend to our coaching clients and people within the upbringing community too is, is keeping our presence there and just slowly dialing back our interactions. So to show that we're there, to show that we see, to show that we appreciate what we're, what we're watching as the observer, right? That we're available, right? That we're giving them our attention, but that we're not really necessarily getting in there in the same way that we used to, right? That we're not an inherent part of their play, that their play actually can belong to them, right? Mm-hmm. And that our 
the connection that we maybe used to have and play with them can be in daily caregiving activities, like their diapering, their dressing, their bathing, their feeding, household, you know, chore things that we do together, that a lot of connection could be had there. And then we can leave them to, to their own devices, to their own curiosities within a safe place when it comes to their play and their movement. Yeah. And one thing you'd brought up about, you know, just give me a half hour, just give me a little bit of time. How do we fit ourselves into the picture as well? You know, when we're bringing in a new baby, we have to support more than one child and learning how to manage that in our life. But then also we have to take care of ourselves as well. And I know for you two, especially living on a farm and all of that, there's a lot going on in a day. And so how do you fit yourselves in? Such a great question. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna look different to every family. And that's an ongoing process too, I think. And that's something we discuss in the course. There's a whole module on all about you. And a huge part of that is about needs and boundaries. And and I think that that's something that parenting has allowed us to to learn and to begin engaging with is our own needs. And I think many of us have been raised to be human givers, have been raised to be pleasers. And I think that that's our cultural conditioning. And I think it makes us incredible parents. And I think that it also can make us burn out really easily and struggle a lot. And so something we talk about a lot to to parents is telling them that their needs matter just as much as their babies or their kids' needs. And to a lot of parents, that's like mind-blowing. Like what? No, this can't possibly be true. And it absolutely is. And I think that the belief around it is the first thing to to kind of think about and deal with because if we don't believe that our needs matter, we're never going to to get them met. We're never going to carve that time out. We'll just say there isn't time, you know, rather than find ways to make that time no matter what our circumstances are. Yeah. And it's interesting too, thinking about needs, connecting to self-care and connecting to all of that isn't necessarily carving out time to take a bath or advocating for your needs to go away for the weekend or to have a partner fill in during nighttime. But but even just smaller moments mm-hmm. saying, you know, I need space or I need some quiet right now, or I need to put the baby down and leave the room, mm-hmm. or I need, I need some space from my older kid, or I can't pick you up right now yeah. and that's okay. Or I need you to not be on my body climbing on me or, Mm -hmm. you know, just little things, even building that, that awareness of what am I needing right now? When I'm feeling exhausted, when I'm feeling frustrated with the first feeling that I can identify, what am I needing that's deeper than that? Right. I think it's part of that, that just beautiful attunement that we can have and we can begin it as a parent of older kids, or we can, we can begin it right from the start with our babies is saying, as we're attuning, to their bodies, their unique temperaments, their needs, can we at the same time be attuning to our own needs, which we may have never done before? What am I needing? Am I needing space? Am I needing air? Am I needing physical activity? Am I needing rest? Am I needing a hug? What is it that I'm needing? I might not even be able to get it right this moment, but just becoming aware of what the need is takes us out of a sense of helplessness and confusion and dissonance and brings us into it, can bring us into to a state of more empowerment, right? And more clarity. And that to us is the the beginning of of a lot of progress. But it's yeah. a, it's a work in progress. We definitely are with that. Yeah. Always. Everything is at all times, right? Yeah. So the next question then that just it falls right in line with this is, you know, as we're tending to our children's needs and then thinking about ourselves and our own needs, what about our partners and how our partners, not only do we connect with them and, and support them and their needs, but then how do we 
communicate with them how they can best support us and our needs. Because, you know, it's one thing to be in a partnership or in a relationship before kids, and then you have one child and that changes things. And then you have another child and maybe three or four, but each time there's a new family member added to the family, it changes dynamics for everyone. So talk about the partner, your partner, and how we can, again, just connect in that way, not only for us supporting our partner, but our partners also supporting us and having our needs met. I love how you put that, how it's like a a different chemical reaction um, and a new kind of swirling thing every time uh, you add a new family member. Yeah, the constellations. Exactly. And I think that a a big thing that sticks out to me in my memory of becoming a family of four is just feeling all of a sudden like I'm ships in the night with my partner. You know, when we have our first baby, it was like we're splitting time. We were all there together, like so much together, the three of us, like (laughs) to the point that I can't even believe it and remembering, wow, the three of us did everything together. And then when our second child was born, it was like a total divide and conquer lifestyle. It felt like, and I think so much of, of what we worked on then and that we recommend to other people too, is just keeping those lines of communication open. Like Hannah talked about needs, thinking, having those check-in moments with a partner, what are you needing? Are you getting your needs met? What are you needing more of? What are you needing less of? What can we do? You know, like the way that we try to make everything a conversation with our older kids as well. Any conflict is really just a matter of a couple people having needs that aren't matching up, having strategies to get those needs met that aren't aligned and just everything is figure outable in that way. Yeah. 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 I think that it's, it's tricky. I think that we often think, well, our relationship with our partner is just going to be the same. It's not going to be different at all. And it, it changes so much. And I think, but again, back to our own needs and our own awareness, I think it's really easy when we're unaware of our needs and feel that we need to be give, give, giving to everyone else, we can feel really resentful. And we, those needs can kind of unconsciously sneak up on us and we can project them onto our partner in ways like mm-hmm. you always, you never, we can feel kind of get into that martyrdom a little bit, that martyr role. And so I think that the more aware we can just be aware of our own needs and see them as non-threatening. They just exist. They just are. And the more aware of them we are, the better. Then we can feel like bringing them up in moments that are a little bit more adaptive and approachable to our partner because gosh, they're coming from a whole other place with a whole nother childhood. Like I think it was Esther Perel who said that you marry your partner's childhood, which was just Mm. like, oh my gosh, it's so true. And in some ways, you know, we're raising these these kids together. And then we're also raising one another and healing and addressing all of our own childhood wounds. It it can feel like a lot of kids in one home, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I know, you know, we could talk so much more about all of this, but I want to know a little bit more about your upcoming program that you have right from the start. Can you share a little bit about it? Because I know the doors open soon, June 19th. So I would love for you to share a little bit about that. And then I have one last question for each of you. Yeah. So right from the start, well, let's start from the, go to back to the start. <laughs> right from the start. Melty so, and I typically deal, we work with parents of toddlers and children and up to adolescents, mostly of the spirited and sensitive variety. So people who are struggling with their kids that they just love so much and who want to align their values with their daily discipline practices. So these are folks just like we were who are 
pretty progressive who believe in respect. We want to trust our kids. We want to be raising citizens of the world who understand their privilege, who know how to use power, not abuse it, all of those things. But then we are given this control toolbox of discipline tools. So when our kids get older, we're like, oh my gosh, their resistance comes in. Culturally, we see that really negatively. And we use this control toolbox, which basically teaches them control. So that's what Kelty and I work with parents to do is to kind of dismantle this control toolbox and build in some new skills, respect, trust, syncing up, summarizing. We call it our resist approach, which folks can find on our website. And we began to realize over time, though, little by little, that that a lot of the reason that we struggled with this a little bit and that folks do too is because all of a sudden they're they're kind of sideswiped by it when they have two-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds and older. And we thought, what if we created something for parents right from the start that, that allowed them to see that a relationship with their babies doesn't have to begin when they start struggling when their baby's two, three, four, but that they can begin that connection. They can begin that attunement, that conversation, that relationship as early as possible, right? Or as early as possible with their second or third. So as they're working with their older kids with us, they can be starting right from the beginning with their babies in that same way. That's wonderful. I think because as a childbirth educator, I know there are hundreds, if not thousands of childbirth education courses out there. So when we're pregnant, we just focus so much on the birth and then it feels like, okay, here's your baby. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think. Need, yeah. We need more courses like you have all created because it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's how a Jen, so we, we partnered with Jen Lumen then of Your Parenting Mojo. She's got a, an incredible podcast that's been going for, I think, six or seven years. And course Library. Was, course Library and membership community. And I think it was one of the first podcasts we followed and we were big fans of hers. And we partnered with her and, and we were coming from a point of view of having a second babies and realizing, oh my gosh, like this is so different than having our first babies. How do we manage the juggle? How do we see to all the needs? And then Jen has one child and she was working from a place of, wow, my birth plan was ace. I did it incredible. And then what? Like, wow, having a new baby that first year, it's like, we're all on our own. Yet our culture has these high expectations for us to somehow know what the heck we're doing, you know, to literally just go off of instinct when we are not necessarily in tune with our own intuitions, when we're overwhelmed by all of the information out there. So generally took to the course from a research perspective, because she's a researcher, she's got a bunch of degrees. And so she took the research perspective in, in various areas. So we, we break the course down with feeding, diapering, dressing, bathing, sleep, emotions and attachment, siblings, play and movement, all about you, kind of all those areas of life. And Jen goes at it from a research point of view and a, a belief busting kind of way. And then Kelty and I would take each module from what does that look like in practice? And then how do we move through challenges in this realm with our babies in the first year? And it was so much fun. We had mm -hmm. a really good time creating the course and launching the pilot in April. So that's kind of what we love talking about right now. We never thought we're, our, our game is toddlers and kids. So it, it seemed a little strange to go into baby territory, but it really it's is all so, so connected. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. Well, my last question for each of you can each answer it is if you could give parents and I'm going to specify parents of an older sibling and they're recently brought home a new baby. If you could give them one gift, not necessarily a physical gift, but any gift, what would it be? I think I would give them self-regulation. I would give them the gift of 
being able to calm their nervous systems. And I think that's that's something that is not on our baby registries. It's not something that we learn in school. And that is in our minds, the key to so much of this is saying, how, how can I calm my body to be able to see to all these other little bodies mm-hmm. in the best way that I can? And that's, that's a big obstacle to a lot of us. Yeah. And, and I would say gift, gift a parent that, that ability or even just that awareness and the beginnings of that practice, which can be a lifelong gift. Kel, what about you? I don't know. My brain goes straight to the more logistical things like yeah. take the cleaning off their plate, take the cooking <laughs> off their plate, you know, so they actually have time and space to be working on their relationship, their self-regulation practices, mm-hmm. their their connection with their kids and their partner if they have fewer one. demands. Yeah, just fewer demands. Mm-hmm. And I think people often offer like, what can I do? What can I do? And and connecting back to that all about you module, we talk about actually creating a list of things that you do that you don't like doing. And when people say, what can I do anything? Pass them that list, mm-hmm. have that list ready to say, can you come clean up the backyard? Or can you deliver meals on Wednesday nights? Mm-hmm. Or you know, can you spend three hours with my, holding my baby while I go out with my toddler or kid or take a nap or whatever it is? I'm getting really clear on those things. So you have that list. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Both of those things. I, I take both of them for sure. <laughs> I always tell my my prenatal yoga students, you know, at the end when I'm setting everybody up for Shavasana, I'm like, get comfortable asking for what you need. I'm like, I've got bolsters, I've got eye pillows, I've got blankets. Let's get comfortable. Let me know what I can bring you. And everybody just lays there really still. And I'm like, you guys need to get comfortable with asking for things, you know? And so I like bring stuff over and get them all comfortable. But it's true. Like if somebody says, what can I do? Take them up on it. Definitely. Self-regulation. Oh my goodness. Yes. Because that lasts a lifetime. Like as a mom of older, older kids, man, mm-hmm. I, I still need that. <laughs> superpower, right? It is. And yeah. that healthy form of entitlement. I love that. Mm-hmm. You were basically describing like entitlement in our society is such a dirty word and saying, can we reclaim the word entitlement, self-entitlement, yeah. entitled yeah. to self, that we can meet our own needs, that that's something beautiful, not shameful, that that's a right and permission and freedom that we should have right? Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. Those were great answers. And if anybody wants to connect with you further or learn more about your upcoming course, where can they find you? They can head over to our website at upbringing.co. And then I think in the, your show notes, you'll have a link to download a right from the start roadmap. So it's it's a basic kind of overview of our course that gives a lot of ins and outs and information that can be kind of helpful, whether or not the course ends up feeling right for you. So we'll be sure to send you that, Christy. And just thank you so much for having mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Folks can also find us on Instagram. We have a large community there at upbringing.co also. And we do lives every week and got a a group coaching thing going, but we're around and always love to hear from folks with questions, concerns. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you both so much. 